0: At first I was worried about getting in the way. I didn't want to walk in on top of anyone or trespass on their time. But as it happens I keep finding myself alone and lost and off the beaten course in rooms that go into rooms up and down in every which direction. My heart goes out to Jenny having to govern such a monster and I've come to admire her practice of going away to rest in case she might be tired later in the day for I've learned that a mere glance into the parlour is liable to dizzy for the depth. It's certain can't be work that drains her. Since our arrival, I haven't caught her doing anything but make work with her queer times. She has a joke, better a dry crust and manners at eight than foul and vulgarity at five. But in actual fact, she wouldn't be content with crusts at any hour, and the maid is left bare in the brunt boiling up and bringing in and fettling about, the little creature attends to all of their little wants, and she does it on her own too, with no others to aid her. For it seems that with servants, if not with any other portion of life, Jenny knows how to make a saving. Ah, the poor wee poppet, the petty pocket, the pidwidgin, Nim. I can't deny it, has succeeded in fascinating my attention, despite my strict resolve to be cool in her company. Don't notice her, I says to myself whenever she comes in. I always find myself flushed and susceptible, whether it be the quiet show she makes of her modesty, or the delicate manner with which she wields her influence, or her sad, sad secret now so, so public, that cuts a perilous edge around her china figure. Whatever it is, she absorbs me, and I'm fain to get her alone. I must find a moment, I think. I must separate her and present myself proper to her. I must hold out a hand. I must get an idea. What is the nature of your powers?' What do you do that makes the women bend to your will and the men so heated to mount you? My chance comes now, the a.m. of another empty day. Jenny off for her nap, the men locked into the study upstairs, the girls gone to play shuttlecock in the garden for want of something else going on. I'm supposed to be watching them and learning what's what only I know my break when it comes and make an excuse of my bladder. I find her sat on a stool in front of an open cupboard in the storeroom, drooped and snoring over a book that lies on her lap. Her dress is tucked up and the laces of her boots are loosened. She's taking her two minutes and I'm sorry to have come in on her. Can I help you, Mrs Burns? She says before I can steal away. Her face is bleary, but her voice is bright. Not a hint of sleep in it. Oh, Nim, I. Apologise is what I want to do for barging in and robbing her leisure. But more than that, I want to apologise for Frederick. There's no excuse for the shabby treatment he's been giving her. It's as if he believes that by overlooking her, by paying no regard to her, by passing orders for her through the rest of us he'll convince us once and for all that she means naught to him that not even his words are worthy of her when in fact there's not a single word he speaks that doesn't fly right at her, that doesn't explode about her like fireworks, that in the noise and the bright light doesn't call to our minds. That day, some twenty years ago, when her charms got such a hard handle on him that he decided the only means of release was to lift up her skirts and put his seed inside of her. Not a single thought given to the harvest such behaving so unfortunate bears. Aye, that's what I want to do. Apologise for all of Frederick's behaving.